guys. Welcome back to our teaching in the book of Matthew. Now, the last time we were here, I made a mistake in thinking that I could complete the full chapter of chapter four. But <laughs> the last time we were here in the first part of chapter four, we were dealing with Jesus's preparation, his own personal preparation to begin his public ministry. And that was when he was filled with the Holy Spirit immediately after his baptism and was led into a deserted place by God for the purpose of being tempted by Satan. And we also discussed the three classes or categories of Jesus's temptation and those classes and categories and classes or categories of temptation relate to all such classes that we experience ourselves. That is lust of the flesh, that is the desire to satisfy the flesh. Jesus, we know, was not sinful, but yet he had a body and therefore it would desire certain satisfaction. That's why the devil came to him and said, turn these stones to bread. And then there were the lust of the eyes. And we see Jesus then being tempted to cast himself off of the temple and therefore being celebrated by the people of Israel. And then we see pride of livelihood and the temptation of Jesus to worship Satan in order to gain the messianic kingdom before it's time and outside of the will of God. And so speaking of outside of the will of God, all of these temptations, every single one of them that Satan brought to Jesus, each of them were outside of the will of God. Number one, say, for instance, the turning of stone into bread because God had led Jesus into a deserted place. And it was not God's intention for Jesus to use his powers to turn stone to bread. To do so would, would violate the will of God. And then the other two become even more significant as we see them being a shortcut to the messianic throne. That is, God had intended for Jesus to come into the world to live out the role of the Messiah and ultimately die and be resurrected from the dead to pay the sins for his people, be associated with his people. And, but by offering Jesus the messianic throne before time or in a manner to which God had not intended, this too would violate the will of God. But nevertheless, what do we find? Jesus had success over the devil, sent him away, and therefore the angels of God came and attended to Jesus. That is, the temptations were now over and God himself was providing for his son. Now, let's continue with verse number 12 of chapter four. Now, when Jesus heard that John had been taken into custody, he withdrew into Galilee and leaving Nazareth, he came and settled in Capernaum, which is by the sea in the region of Zebulun and Naphtali. This was to fulfill what was spoken through the through Isaiah, the prophet, the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali by the way of the sea beyond the Jordan Galilee of the Gentiles. The people who were sitting in darkness saw a great light and those who were sitting in the land and shadow of death upon them, a light dawned from that time. Jesus began to preach and say, repent for the kingdom 
is at hand. Okay, so now let's deal with it. It seems a little extensive, but not so much when you get into the prophecy of Isaiah. So it simply says, Matthew, once again, is not concerned a lot with the ministry of John the Baptist, except for preparing the way for the Messiah and a few words concerning dealing with the leaders of Israel who had come out to see his baptism. But never, ne nevertheless, Matthew continues on with John's ministry about John being locked into prison. He doesn't say why. He doesn't get into the reasons why. He just simply says John being locked into prison. So this lets us know once again the, the idea or the concentration in Matthew concerning Jesus, the Messiah, King of the Jews. And Matthew is really concentrating on that point, the Messianic ministry of Jesus. And this is what we're about to get into at this moment. So he's, he begins with John being taken into custody. And we know that John was taken into custody because of things that he said about the king uh, violating the commandments of Moses and taking his brother's wife. But since uh, Matthew is not getting into that in detail, it's not relevant for me to discuss it right now as well. And so it says Jesus went, he withdrew into Galilee. So remember that Jesus was in Galilee but he was also in Nazareth of Galilee. Remember that the scripture said, Matthew quoted, he shall be called a Nazarene. And Jesus himself as a boy was raised in Nazareth. So now Jesus is moving his ministry as he's preparing for the beginning of his public ministry. This is what's going on here. He's, his public ministry will be centered or headquartered, if you'll let me say it that way, in Capernaum. And so, and it just simply says, which is by the sea near the region of Zebulun and Naphtali. And it, Matthew begins to tell us that this was to fulfill the prophecy of Isaiah. And that is that the Messiah would have in Isaiah chapter nine, that the prophet, <laughs> that the Messiah would have his ministry to begin in Capernaum, which is near Zebulun and Naphtali. So at times in which it was treated as insignificant, it will no longer be treated as insignificant. Why? Because it would be the base of operation for the Messiah when he comes. And so therefore he continues quoting Isaiah talking and speaking of the ministry of the Messiah as a great light has dawned upon the people. So the Messiah himself is the light of God, the revelation of God. And so therefore in all that he does in presenting himself to the people in this manner, a light has shone upon those people and those who sit in darkness and those who sit in the shadow of death. Now, these are basically spiritual idioms for those who are spiritually dead and even such application can be made as we will see later on in this text that those who are suffering under many maladies. Now, I'll talk about all of that as we move through the end of this chapter. But nevertheless, Matthew is simply saying, once again, he is giving a direct fulfillment. And so and we talked about that, how the Jewish New Testament writers uh, interpreted Old Testament passages, especially Old Testament prophecy. And this 
is a literal fulfillment of Jesus' moving into Capernaum and beginning his ministry that we will talk about at that time. But anyway, verse 17. Now, let's give a little uh, credence to that. From that time, Jesus began to preach and say, repent for the kingdom is at hand. Now, that is from what time? From the time of John the Baptist being in prison. So what we find out is, and we're not going to get into great details about it because once again, Matthew doesn't, but let me comment on it. Now, when Jesus was baptized, after Jesus was baptized and after the testing in the wilderness, okay, the proving of the son of God, Jesus began a sort of ministry, but it was not a public ministry, but it was a ministry of baptizing, which Jesus himself never baptized. Jesus' baptism was to be a baptism of the Holy Spirit alone. His disciples baptized, but nevertheless, even in this baptism of Jesus, John the Baptist was also baptizing. And then later on, we find out because of John's rebuff of the king that he was in prison. That thing of what I just told you about John rebu um, rebuking him for marrying his brother Philip's wife. But nevertheless, because of that, John was therefore imprisoned. And once John was imprisoned, John was never let out of prison, but finally was beheaded. OK, so the whole point is John's ministry was coming to an end and Jesus understood that as the ministry of John was coming to an end, which ministry John's ministry was to prepare a people for the Messiah. Now that the Messiah is ready for public ministry, there is no need further for the ministry of John, as we will see where John will say he must increase. I must decrease. I am not the bridegroom. I'm simply a friend of the bridegroom. Okay. I don't suppose to be even talking about all of this because Matthew started bringing it out, but I'm trying to make you guys understand from that time, what time the ending of John the Baptist's ministry, Jesus understood at the ending of his ministry is the beginning of Jesus's public ministry. And that's a, there's a difference here in that overlap that I was just telling you about where John was baptizing and Jesus was baptizing even more than John. There was a bit of overlapping, but still the public ministry, the public proclamation by Jesus himself, the public preaching by Jesus himself, what the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Okay. So that did not start in that sense until John was imprisoned and would later be beheaded, die in prison. And so now let's talk about this ministry of Jesus, that proclamation. Caruso is the word that is used here to proclaim, to preach. And so repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Now, this is very similar to John's message. But what you have to understand is from the mouth of Jesus, there is a nuance. So when John would preach repent, that is have a change of mind, change of heart, repentance from sin that leads to a change of conduct for the kingdom of heaven is at hand for the Messiah is near 
for the Messiah is soon. I, John the Baptist, will soon point out the Messiah. And when he comes, you need to be prepared to receive him and follow him. That's the message of John when he says, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The same is similar to Jesus, but there are certain nuances. That is, Jesus would simply say, repent. That would also mean a change of mind with a change of conduct, repentance from sin. But it also brought about the implication of when repentance means it points more towards the person of Jesus. Now, even though we see this initially in the proclamation of Jesus, as this develops, it develops in the sense of because remember the whole point, as we will see. We got to work our way through the gospel. We have to work our way through the gospel that Jesus is going to be saying, change your mind, not just about sin, but about what you think about me. That because remember, the very essence of the word repentance means a change of mind, a change of mind. That does what leads to a change of conduct. As we work through the ministry of Jesus, the repentance is going to begin take on a new type of flavor that as it's going to be a struggle with not so much as Jesus and the religious leaders, because we already know some of us who are familiar with the gospels, the religious leaders are going to be antagonistic against Jesus. They will not accept Jesus. Many of the Jewish people will be on the ropes with Jesus. Is he the Messiah or is he not? So the idea as it develops in the ministry of Jesus, when he begins to say, repent, the development will be change your mind of what you think about me. Why? I am indeed the Messiah. So you need to change your mind and believe that I am the Messiah. Okay. So the latter part for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. That is the Messiah is near. And as I just said to you, Jesus in the development of this statement of the repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. I am the Messiah. So what we find out here in verse 17 is Jesus first proclamation of his Messiahship to the Jewish people. So here is Jesus beginning ministry that he is now proclaiming to be the Messiah. Now we know that in other places, Jesus would do this same thing. When I think it's in Luke, when Jesus goes into the synagogue in Capernaum and he begins to read from Isaiah, a certain specific passage without which I don't suppose to be doing, but let me just do it anyway. In Isaiah 61, when he talks about how the spirit of God is upon me, he has anointed me to preach the gospel, the good news of what is the gospel? The good news of the coming of the Messiah. Preach the gospel and to heal the sick and all of these things. And then the Bible says in Luke, he closes that book. He rolls up the scroll and he looks at the people and said, this has now been fulfilled and you heard it in your hearing. So he pronounces that he is that Messiah that was prophesied by the prophets of old. Okay. The beginning of his public ministry and his own declaration. I am the Messiah. Now, next section. So let's get into 18 <laughs> because I want to kind of get to the end prematurely. 
Now, as Jesus was walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who was called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Immediately, they left their nets and followed him. Going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, in the boat with Zebedee, their father, mending their nets, and he called them. Immediately, they left the boat and their father and followed him. Okay, so now we see the calling of Jesus first disciple, or should we even say Jesus calling his first disciples. Now, what you have to understand is this. Okay, let's just deal with the commentary. Then I'll talk about that. So he's walking by the Sea of Galilee. There he sees Simon. We know Peter, who Jesus uh, uh, later says, you are Peter, Petras, Simon the Rock. Okay. <laughs> and he sees him and his brother working on in their occupation as fishermen. And so casting a net into the sea, working in their occupation. And so he simply calls out to them and tells them to follow him. Now, what you have to understand about the following him means Jesus is not meeting men, all of these men. He already knew all of these men were already following Jesus in some aspect or another because of the preaching of John the Baptist. And this, will, this is what we'll see in John, the fourth gospel. In, in Gospel of John, in chapter one, where Jesus is, has, is introduced to these men and Jesus has a familiarity with these men already. And these men have already been familiar with Jesus as the Messiah through the preaching of John. Remember the whole point of John, the function of John, prepare people to be, to meet and to follow the Messiah. So through the preaching of John, these men have already been introduced to Jesus. John would say, behold, the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. When you see Jesus walking by the Jordan and these men become introduced and they begin to follow Jesus, but they are not following Jesus in a permanent sense. And this is what I want you to see. They go back home and they still live their lives. And even here, as you see what they are still in the fishing business. So Jesus calling them, when he says to them, follow me, he is saying to them, follow me permanently. Follow me at all times. Stay with me at all times. So he is simply saying for them to abandon their lives in totality as they once knew it and follow Jesus from now on. And this is what Jesus is simply saying to them. And so he says, he uses a little flip in terminology as you are now fishing for fish. I will make you fishers of men, catch men for me. Okay. So he is inviting them to participate in the gospel of the Messiah. And so how did they respond? Immediately they left their nets and followed Jesus. This tells us, Following Jesus has a cost. Following Jesus has a price. 
it is not free. Sometimes, many times, oftentimes, it demands a sacrifice. And when we say a sacrifice, it means a loss. Whether it is a loss of business, a loss of friends, a loss of family. As even Jesus would let on tell his own disciples that because of him, that even their family members would turn against them. They would try to turn them to, uh, to the authorities and they themselves would be killed. But the point is, following Jesus has a cost. Then... He continues on from there and he sees two brothers, that is James and John, and they are the sons of Zebedee. And they were literally working on the boat with their fathers. And Jesus gave them a similar call, similar call, follow me. And he called them, follow me. And of course, they dropped their nets. They left their father and they followed Jesus once again. Following after Jesus has a cost. And what is the cost to James and John? You can imagine the closest that they had, not simply because of uh, uh, parental association. Zebedee was their father, but working with him in business, so there's an additional closeness. But when the Messiah calls, listen, follow him, and there is a price to be paid. So, goodbye, Dad. All right, now let's continue with the final section, verses number 23, and we're now going to see, as Matthew is ordering the events, Matthew is ordering the events with what? What did we see in the beginning? Jesus' Jesus preparation, that is, being filled with the Holy Spirit and tested and approved of God the Father. you got to get that. Jesus First part, filled with the Holy Spirit, he is now tested and then he is approved. He passes the test and therefore Jesus himself is ready for ministry. Then the next thing we see sets up headquarters for ministry in Capernaum. Then the next thing we see, the calling of disciples to work along with him in his ministry. And now the final thing we will see is the actual ministry, the beginning of that ministry, the actuality of ministry. Verse 23, Jesus was going throughout all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every kind of disease and every kind of sickness among the people. The news about him spread throughout all Syria and they brought to him all who were ill, those suffering with various diseases and pains, demoniacs, epileptics, paralytics, and he healed them. Large crowds followed him from Galilee and the Decapolis and Jerusalem and Judea and even from beyond the Jordan. Okay, so now let's get into the actual ministry of Jesus. So remember, when Jesus began to preach, the message, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And remember what we said about that. It is the proclamation of himself. He is announcing that he is the Messiah to the Jewish people, the fulfillment of the prophets, right? So the point is, can I simply say it this way? I'm from Missouri. 
I'm not literally from Missouri, but what would they say? Talk is cheap. Missouri is the show me state. So what did we see in the proclamation of Jesus's messiahship by himself here that he begins to do great signs and wonders. Notice that he was going throughout all of Galilee, both never forget this part because a lot of people always look at the, the miracles or the signs of Jesus. I never like to say miracles, but people were more familiar with miracles, but these miracles were signs as we will see here. And I'll explain. They always talk about the miracles, but they often forget the teachings of Jesus. He taught all the time. He taught all the time in their synagogues, in the street, on a hill, as we're going to see later on. But he was teaching and in their synagogues and he was healing. So now here's the point that I was saying about the Missouri part. As Jesus proclaimed to be the Messiah, it is necessary to give proof of those messianic claims. And it takes us all the way back to the book of Exodus when we look at Moses. Remember what happened when God first called Moses, Exodus chapter three, and he said, Moses, I'm going to send you to deliver my people Israel from Egypt. And remember what Moses said, suppose they do not believe me. And what did God do? God gave Moses miraculous signs to perform in order that the people may believe. And he also gave Moses through that staff. Remember that all of those miraculous powers to do before Pharaoh so that Pharaoh would believe that Yahweh is God and that Moses is his representative. And so it all began with Moses. That is, if Jesus is proclaiming to be the Messiah, he must have validation of it through miraculous powers. You have to have proof of your messiahship. And this is why Jesus began to do all of those miraculous signs. Notice what I said, miraculous signs. As he went about preaching and teaching, he also accompanied his preaching with signs. And this is why it's talked about healing of every kind of disease among the people. And I'm not going to get into it until we get to that particular point in Matthew, but even leprosy, which up until that point, leprosy was not healed by God. I'm sorry, by a prophet of God, God directly healed leprosy. But until that time, no prophet, no man interceded in healing of leprosy. Okay. But I'm not going to get into all that, but the whole point is, so let me say it this way. Jesus performed these signs slash miracles as proof of his messianic claim. So we need to understand what Jesus was doing and what Jesus and what should not be considered even today. Jesus performed those signs as proof that he was the Messiah. That's the main focus. We would also sometimes see the, the tenderness of Jesus heart when Jesus would heal people like the men with lip. But I'm not going to get into it. We would sometimes see that. But the ultimate reason, primary reason he did these things was to prove that he was the Messiah. It is often, I said all of that simply to say, 
It is often misunderstood today when people scantily, barely, wrongly read the New Testament and look at Jesus and the apostles. And they say these things. If it happened, if Jesus did it in his day, we can do the same thing in our day. If Jesus performed signs and miracles and wonders in his day, we will perform it in our day. And, and this is wrongly considered because Jesus performed those signs to show that he was the Messiah. We are now living post in that time. It has already been determined and proven through Jesus and the apostles that he is the Messiah. And so therefore looking for the signs and wonders, the working of miracles in our day is it will no longer be in the same way. In other words, we in our time will not perform the signs and wonders. Don't look for it. Don't look for Benny Hinn and no other so-called prophet to perform these signs because the main reason for these signs is to prove the Messiahship of Jesus. This has already been proven through and in the establishment of his church. Case closed. So therefore such miracles will not be done. Number one, let me keep on talking about this. I'm here. And then some will say, Jesus said to his disciples, the things that I have done, you would do the same things even greater. He was not talking to the common church. Jesus was talking explicitly to his apostles and that, and all that is saying, he, okay, let me slow it down. Let me, let me calm down. And all he was saying to his apostles, the apostles was they would continue his ministry. They would continue to proclaim Jesus is the Messiah as they themselves established the church. Because notice Jesus did not establish the church. The apostles established the church, but it was done through and based upon the name and the person and works of Jesus, but Jesus did not establish the church. Remember the church is both Jew and Gentile. This Jesus did not do, but the apostles did. So what did he do? He also empowered them to work signs and wonders. As Paul even said to the Corinthians was not the signs of an apostles truly wrought among you. So he empowered them with these powers to establish the church. And once the church was established, notice the church is basically established in the first century. And notice after that, you no longer see workings of great powers and miracles by men. After the apostolic age, after the apostles died, it ended the working of great signs and wonders. They were done only by Christ and the hands of the apostles because what? In all things, you are establishing the ministry, the ministry of establishing the church, the church that is built upon faith in Jesus as the Messiah. So what does this say? How am I ending this case? When the works of miracles were done, I'm going to say one more thing. 
But when the works of miracles were done, sign and wonders were done here, as we see, and in the apostles, it was done to establish the fact Jesus is the Messiah, to establish the church. Now that these things are established, God no longer functions in this way because it ends with the apostles. It does not continue to this day. It does not continue with all of these fake jack leg preachers calling themselves prophets doing these fake miracles. And that's why their miracles are fake. God is not operating in this fashion. The Messiah has been established through the apostles. And that's also what Paul taught us as well. Through the apostles and prophets of the New Testament, he established his church. The foundation has already been established. No more miracles. And one more point. This is just an addendum. If miracles were commonplace, they would not be miracles. They would simply be everyday happenings. But because miracles are a work against the natural order, that's what a miracle is. Something is like, wow, how did that happen? That was not supposed to happen. An iron head was not supposed to float on the water. And people, a man born blind was not supposed to simply be healed. And a man that died and you just speak a word, don't just supposed to rise up from the dead. Because it is not natural. That's what makes it a miracle. And if they became commonplace, they would no longer be miracles. Therefore, you'll find when you read and study the scriptures that the age of miracles were very few. And for the moment, I think I can point up all of them out. Uh, the age of miracles with Moses. We saw that. No doubt about it. The age of miracles, and it ended. Then another age came with Elijah and Elisha. And what? That ended. That age ended. You don't hear anything more about miracles at, at that time. Then come the age of miracles in the New Testament with Christ and the apostles. And then for hundreds of years, even up until our time, you no longer hear about that. And then there will come one more age of miracle, uh, Revelation chapter 11, the two witnesses whom God will empower to do all types of great signs and wonders for Israel and even the peoples of the earth. And that will be the last age of miracles that will actually precede the coming of Jesus, the second advent. Okay, so the age of miracles are only few and notice they usually are far apart. Miracles are never intended to be common. Now, we can do certain things, those with the gifts of healings, blah, 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 by faith and those who have the spiritual gift, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, if you have the gift of that, okay? But notice even those gifts are rarely found in the church today. All right. I hope you guys understood that I went way too far, but God bless. Let's go back to the commentary on the text. So now we see what Jesus was doing in his proclamation to be the Messiah. He was backing it up with proof of signs or other words, miracles, as Matthew simply calls it, healing of every kind of sickness and disease. And so notice as Jesus was healing people and preaching, 
the news about Jesus being Messiah, the news. And you can imagine the news about this man doing these great signs, signs that proclaim he is the Messiah going wild, spreading like hotcakes. And this is what it says throughout all Syria. And so as the news spread about Jesus and his ministry, especially the healing ministry of Jesus, people responded to the healing ministry of Jesus. And we have to be careful about that. We have to be careful about that. But nevertheless, and that is the reason why I said we have to be careful is you don't want to respond to Jesus because of simply what Jesus can give you, how Jesus can make your life better in the now, as Jesus will later on say, do not labor for the bread that perishes labor for things in this life, but labor for the bread that never perishes, but that endures even life after this life. Okay. But nevertheless, they brought all of their sick people to Jesus. Notice the sickness with all kinds of diseases and demoniacs. And I'm going to talk about demon. I can't wait till we get to that section to talk about that. Epileptics, which the word literally means moonstruck. <laughs> Epileptics, paralytics. And notice, I like it. And it simply says, no matter what sickness and what diseases they brought to Jesus, he healed them. It always takes my mind back to the glory of God in creation. And when it was talking about how God made this and how God made that on that day and how God made this and God made that on that day. And then it also says this. He also made the stars. <laughs> I laugh every time as if that's nothing. The expanse and glory of the universe, even to now, which through satellite and all this other kind of stuff that we have. And we see the glory. It says in a simple way. Well, he made the stars as if it was nothing. It says the same thing concerning Jesus in healing all afflictions, all diseases. It simply says what? And he healed them as if it was nothing to do. Now that's power. That's raw power. But anyway, and then it begins to say, so you can understand now as Jesus was healing these people and the words of Christ his healing ministry and this thing about maybe the Messiah has come. You can understand how that's spurring large crowds beginning to follow Jesus. Okay. And we're not going to get into the, 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 uh, the instance of whether these people were saved or not. That's not what Matthew is trying to say, because we're going to really find out that really, they're really not saved, but Still, large crowd had developed and began to follow Jesus from Galilee. And these crowds came from the 10 cities. It's just a Greek name, the Decapolis, the 10 cities from Jerusalem, from Judea, from far and wide. Jesus started to having hundreds building up to thousands of people following Jesus, believing. And this is not pure belief, but I'm simply saying this in a generic sense. Maybe the Messiah has come. And so he develops a large crowd. All right, guys, thanks for joining me with that. The next time we come back, we'll be in Matthew chapter five, basic and, and basically chapters five, six, and seven is a single section. And this forms what is understood as Jesus is teaching on the Mount. Okay. And we'll talk about those wonderful things that Jesus taught 
in uh, the Sermon on the Mount, but also we're going to find out some things concerning the Sermon on the Mount and how we understand the Sermon on the Mount, because it is often said that what Jesus preached in the Sermon on the Mount applies to us today. In a sense, but some things he preached apply, some things he preached do not apply. So join me next time as we get into Matthew chapter 5 with Jesus preaching on the mount. See you then. Producing these videos take a lot of time and they take resources too, guys. All the, the computers, the cameras, the blah, 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 blah. They take resources. So if God touches your mind and your heart, bless this ministry. If it helps you, if these teachings help you, bless the ministry, send a donation, or even become a monthly partner with me so that I can continue to do these things. I don't do it. I don't do it to make money, God forbid, but I do it that the ministry may be supported and that I might continuously with joy because it does give my heart joy to continuously bring these lessons to you for your benefit, for your spiritual enrichment, okay? So help me out. 